The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with another busy day for earnings around the world, and we start in London, where shares of HSBC are up more than 2%. The bank, which generates most of its income in Asia, announced a new buyback program and gave a bullish outlook for the year. We spoke with the CEO, Noel Quinn. Those results are a function of good revenue growth across the globe. All of our global businesses have strong revenue growth. All of the product lines within those businesses, strong revenue growth. Noel Quinn says HSBC is now expecting net interest income for the year to be above $35 billion. Stay tuned for more of our interview with the CEO coming up shortly on Bloomberg Daybreak. Well, Nathan, shares of BP are up almost 1.5% in London. The oil giant is raising its dividend by 10% and buying back another $1.5 billion in shares. That's despite second quarter profit that fell short of estimates thanks to weaker oil and gas prices. Still, BP CEO Bernard Looney told us demand for crude remains remarkably strong. There's a lot of talk, obviously, about concerns about the uh, the global economy. There's a lot of talk about uh, concerns about China uh, growth. In spite of all of these things, demand for oil uh, has been incredibly resilient. In fact, um, there are some reports that say oil will reach its maximum demand ever uh, this year. BP CEO Bernard Looney reported second quarter adjusted net income of $2.6 billion. That's down from almost $8.5 billion a year earlier. We're also watching shares of Diageo, Karen. They're a little changed at the moment in London. The maker of Johnny Walker Whiskey and Smirnoff Vodka reported a 6.5% sales increase. That beat estimates. Diageo also says it is passing along price increases to customers. Well, in Asia, Nathan shares of Toyota are trading at an all-time high. The world's number one car maker reported quarterly profit that topped estimates. Improvements in semiconductor supply and a weak yen helped Toyota capitalize on a global rebound in vehicle demand. Now back here in the U.S., Karen, it's another big day for earnings on this side of the world. We get results from almost 50 companies in the S&P 500 today, including Pfizer, Caterpillar, and Starbucks. Well, Nathan, today is the start of a new trading month, and we're beginning August with a big bullish call on stocks. And we get the details of Bloomberg's John Tucker. John. And Karen, in fact, it's the most bullish forecast among Wall Street strategists. Oppenheimer Asset Management's John Stolfus says we'll finish the year at 4,900 on the S&P 500. That's another 7% higher from here. It means we could blow through the all-time high that was set at the start of last year. Well, he says the Fed's rate hike cycle now appears to be close to a pause or even an end, and the U.S. economy appears resilient. Just yesterday, Morgan Stanley Bear Mike Wilson changed his tune, saying this rally can run further. In New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, John, thank you. Well, we have a milestone for the world's largest publicly traded hedge fund. Man Group's assets under management have hit a record, $151.7 billion. We caught up with Man Group Chief Financial Officer Antoine Fortier. Demand is firmly there, as the, as the flus um, demonstrate. Um, you, listen, analysts focus on sort of quarter and quarter. They want to make sure that the numbers fit in a nice little Excel box. Um, clients really care about the long-term horizon. 
Man Group CFO Antoine Fortier says the hedge fund was helped by fresh inflows, but pre-tax profit declined in the first half, and that is taking a toll on the shares. Right now, Man Group is down 7.4% in London. Well, back here in the U.S., Nathan, there's word of another company cutting jobs. According to the Wall Street Journal, CVS is eliminating about 5,000 jobs to reduce costs. The paper says most of the roles that will be affected at the pharmacy chain are corporate positions. Well, let's turn to politics now, Karen. In the 2024 presidential race, the super PACs tied to the candidates have unveiled their first fundraising totals. One of them is the runaway leader, the never-back-down super PAC supporting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis raised $131 million in the first half of the year. That is nearly twice as much as Make America Great Again, the group supporting Donald Trump. The former president still leads DeSantis by more than 35 points in recent polls, according to Real Clear Politics. Well, Nathan, another super PAC is also raking in cash, and this one is not tied to a candidate. Instead, a political action committee tied to billionaire Charles Koch is aiming to stop former President Trump from winning the nomination. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has that story. The Americans for Prosperity Action reports $78 million, the bulk from $25 million donations, one from Koch Industries and the second from Stand Together Chamber of Commerce. The conservative group claims Trump needs to be stopped or Joe Biden will win re-election and could lead to losing both houses of Congress and the presidency. It has not spent much yet, but says it will in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Ed. Well, how about some space politics now? The Pentagon says President Biden has picked Colorado as the home of U.S. Space Command that reverses a Trump-era decision to choose a location in Alabama. The move comes with speculation that abortion politics played into the decision. Alabama has restrictive anti-abortion laws. Colorado does not. Well, Nathan, when it comes to this summer's hot weather, the streak is over, but just barely. We're talking about the record string of daily highs over 110 degrees in Phoenix. It was snapped yesterday with a high of only 108 degrees. The reprieve, though, expected to be brief. And it's time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Former President Donald Trump is predicting he'll be indicted any day now as part of the investigation into his efforts to stay in power after the 2020 election. In a Truth Social post, Trump called it an attempt to cover up allegations of bribes and payoffs aimed at President Biden and his family. Hunter Biden's former business partner, Devon Archer, testified before the House Oversight Committee yesterday. Democrat Congressman Dan Goldman says Archer never produced any testimony con- connecting President Biden to any business dealings related to his son. They never discussed business. Joe Biden did not know what the business dealings that Hunter Biden was involved with, and he never did anything in connection to Hunter's business dealings. This is House Republican leaders are prioritizing efforts to open an impeachment inquiry into the president. Now, despite his legal challenge, Challenges. Donald Trump still leads the GOP in the race for the White House. Terry Haynes is founder of Pangea Policy and discussed Trump's poll numbers on Bloomberg's Sound On. Essentially, we're at peak Trump now, and I think he has nowhere to go but down. It's a long, slow down, but I think it's a down nonetheless. In the national polls, roughly kind of 45, 50 percent, even a little bit more, depending. In the early primary states where the rubber meets the road, 
uh, you've got a little bit less. Catch Sound on weekday afternoons from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. You can hear the full interview on the Sound On podcast, available on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Meanwhile, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is laying out his economic vision for the U.S., saying that if he wins the White House, many of those who receive Medicaid We'll have to get jobs. For able-bodied adults, there should be work requirements for all welfare programs. DeSantis says his administration would curb reckless federal spending. And you can chalk up a courtroom victory for Donald Trump in Pennsylvania, where a state court judge says presidential immunity is broad enough to protect Trump's false claims that the 2020 election was rigged, even when he himself did not believe that conspiracy. Voting machine supervisor James Savage claimed Trump damaged his reputation by falsely claiming he he tampered with the 2020 election result. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg. Karen. All right, Amy, thank you. It is time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. And here's John Stashauer. John. Karen, it's a struggle for the U.S. women's national team playing the World Cup in New Zealand. Their third game, they had a draw last time out against the Netherlands. And right now, they are playing in the second half. And the game is scoreless against Portugal. If this score holds, the U.S. still advances to the knockout round. But not all that impressively, considering they are the two-time defending champions. The Netherlands on the verge of moving on. Right now, they lead Vietnam. Six to nothing. Baseball, Tampa Bay beating the Yankees in New York five to one as the Rays hit four home runs off Yankee pitcher Johnny Brito and the Yankees struggles to try and make the postseason continue. Washington beat Milwaukee five to three. Baltimore a four two win at Toronto. The Red Sox lost in Seattle six to two. The Giants lost at home to Arizona four to three. Damar Hamlin is, of course, the Buffalo Bills safety who last season almost died on the field. Yesterday at Bills practice, he practiced for the first time in pass. I think it's power in, 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 in being out here every day and, and doing my process in front of the world, you know. And I always wanted to stand for something bigger than myself, uh, which my goal my whole life. You know, I, I had goals within this game. But, you know, life goals, that was the biggest thing. I wanted to stand for something bigger than myself, and I have the opportunity to do that now, and I'm going I'm to I'm fulfill that. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com, this is Bloomberg Daybreak. 
Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. HSBC is in the middle of a strategic repositioning and its results this morning reflect that strong pivot. The lender, which aims to capture growth in Asia, surpassed pre-tax profit estimates and announced a fresh share buyback worth up to $2 billion. The CEO of HSBC, Noel Quinn, joined Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix for a conversation on the company's second quarter results. He also discussed the expansion in Asia, the UK, and Chinese property markets and pressure from top shareholder ping on insurance group when you look at your results they're strong are you very optimistic about the future i'm very pleased francine and thank you for having me with the strong results in the first half i mean i think that those results are a function of good revenue growth across the globe all of our global businesses have strong revenue growth all of the product lines within those businesses strong revenue growth but also all geographies contributed to that performance um, so I'm pleased with the outcome. It's a $21.7 billion PBT, which produces a reported royalty of 22.4%. But to be fair, I need to back out two notable items in Q1, uh, which boosted that return. But underlying then, excluding those, it's still a return on tangible equity of 18.5%. That's a very strong performance. Our confidence is high on the future, which is why we've changed our royalty guidance going forward. We've increased it. Yep. Uh, from the 12 plus guidance we had before to a guidance of mid-teens for 2023 and 2024. And I'm really pleased that we were able to, because of our strong capital generation, commit to a further 10 cents dividend, uh, uh, interim dividend uh, for, for Q2 and an additional $2 billion, up to $2 billion buyback, um, which we intend to complete in the next three months. So that's a good outcome. Um, but I do want to say it's broad-based, across all geographies yep. and across all business lines. No, from the outside, it seems you're promoting and putting a lot of focus on your business in India. Within Asia, is there a slight pivot away from China to focus on India? No, we're, we're looking to invest in all of Asia. We see great opportunities still in China, here in Hong Kong, but also we've got, we see opportunities within India and Singapore. And Singapore, not just for Singapore alone, but Singapore and its gateway into ASEAN. So we're investing equally between all parts of Asia, um, and we're seeing good, good performance um, across the whole of Asia. But also we're investing in new business lines for us. So I think in the past we've underinvested in our wealth business across Asia. We had a very good business here in Hong Kong. We invested in that, but we didn't invest enough in mainland China or in Singapore or in India, and we're correcting that now. And you can see the evidence of that in these results. You know, we in Asia, yeah. we took in $27 billion of net new invested assets on behalf of our clients. Um, and that, you know, if you look globally, we, in the last 12 months, we took in $75 billion of net new invested assets into our wealth business. That's a function of the investment program we started over two years ago. So, so how active are you in helping, for example, to finance still some of the Belt and Road projects? I mean, we look at all of those projects that are taking place, uh, all of the big infrastructure projects. We're very particular focused at the moment on infrastructure projects around sustainability, new hydrogen plants, new wind and solar, uh, ways to decarbonize. So we're working with our clients uh, across all of Asia, but globally. We've done some big transactions as well in the Middle East, uh, where we're looking to help clients invest in the new technology to build uh, the new greener economy of the future. Uh, so we look at them on a project-by-project project basis, um, and some of them are within 
the Silk Road, the Belt and Road initiative, but some of them will be outside of that. Many of them will be outside. No, no. How, how worried are you about Chinese real estate? And actually, if you look at, you know, what you've announced today, developments could be worse than what you're expecting. And will you have to take more, you know, more fresh charges against some of your exposure there? No, I think we, we, what we announced today was we do a scenario on what a potential plausible downside could be on that. We're not predicting that. We scenario plan that. We did take some additional provisions in the in quarter two, but they were they were relatively manageable within our overall ECL charge. I think we took about 300 million in the first half of this year. That was top up on some existing provisions. Uh, but if I look at my overall ECL charge for the first half of the year, it was 1.3 billion, and that absorbed commercial real estate in China. Specifically on real estate in China, it will be a challenge in six, 12 months. The industry still has some challenges ahead. We believe we're well provisioned. We're comfortable with the provisioning we have at the half year. And we'll have to wait and see how the policy measures continue to adopt, adapt. And what is really challenging in the real estate market in China is a lack of demand. And that's really where I think the solution to the challenges will come from. There's been a long silence, a long, long silence from Pingang. Is it reasonable to assume that you've won the argument about HSBC's future? Well, listen, we continue to have dialogue with Pingang, as we do with all institutional shareholders, and we have done since the AGM. But the AGM was conclusive. Um, it delivered a very conclusive outcome on the debate around restructuring. Um, we've moved on from that now. We're very much focused on performance. We also know that that's a, a big focus for Pingang, as it is for all institutional shareholders, all shareholders, including the retail shareholders here in Hong Kong. And I think the first six months results a testament to our focus on that and the work we've done over the past three years. Strong revenue growth, tight cost discipline, good capital management, over $128 billion of unproductive RWAs taken out over the past three years. And we're very much focused on our core strengths. And the results today are evidence of that. An 18% return on tangible equity with good, strong capital generation going forward with the prospect of... Um, more dividend and more return coming from that performance. That's the important thing I'm focused on. But so what are you reading at the moment that Ping An can come back and actually give, give you hassle on how they see the future of HSBC? Or if when you say you've moved on, have they also moved on from this argument? Well, that is a matter for, for Ping An, so it's not fair for me to comment on their behalf. But I think the AGM decision was very decisive and conclusive. The vote was very clear. And I believe that matter is now behind us. We are, ha are very, very much focused on performance. So that matter is now closed from the point of view of HSBC. What does the decision to downsize your London headquarters tell us about your commitment to the UK? We're absolutely committed to the UK. And our decision on premises in the UK is a function, frankly, of some of the reduction in costs that we've done over the past three to four years. It's a function of changing working patterns, and it's a function of some of the offshoring that we've done. So our, our need for premises in the UK is less today than it was three, four years ago. Um, so our choice on where we relocated the head office wasn't a decision between Canary Wharf and the city. It was a decision based on available premises somewhere around 20, 2026 and 2027 that had the capacity 
but not too much capacity to absorb the, the people we wanted. So frankly, we needed a building half the size of Canary Wharf, and there aren't that many buildings that were available. This was not a decision between the city or Canary Wharf. It was a practical decision based on property availability. Given where we are now, worldwide, and some of, I guess, the, the influences across the world, do you say your reasons for remaining in the UK are actually decreasing? No, I think UK is a very good place to have a headquarter for a global institution. It covers all the time zones well. It's a good environment to operate in with lots of professional services to support a, an organization. But you've got to remember, we're a global business. We have to have a headquarter somewhere, and the UK has been a good headquarter for us. But I'm also, at the moment, in our headquarters in Hong Kong. And in a few weeks' time, I'll be in our headquarters in the Middle East. So, you know, we're a global organization, um, and there has to be a place that where you're registered. And the UK is a good place to be registered. It's a good environment to operate a global, global bank with a good regulatory environment. Um, and we're very happy there. So... When you look at UK mortgages, I think you were the first major bank to actually start cutting your rates last week. Do you see rates substantially falling for mortgages in the near future? I think it's going to be a function, frankly, of the swap rates in the UK. You know, it's not just the base rates in the UK, but it's the swap rates, because most mortgages are priced off swaps. And it will be there for a function of what is the market confidence, where does the market see the yield curve? And we saw the yield curve go up, and then we started to see it come down. Our ambition is to try and make sure our rates are as um, reasonable as possible to help customers navigate what is definitely a challenging environment of higher rates in the market plus higher inflation. So if we can move down, we will do as quickly as possible. Um, so that was our decision. Um, it will, it will, I can't predict what the yield curve necessarily will do. There is the prospect of more interest rate rises. Uh, in the future in order to combat inflation. And that therefore could change the yield curve for the swap rates. Um, and therefore we may have to adjust pricing then, up or down. But do, do you see a correction in UK property prices going forward, a significant correction? I mean, the UK property market has been extremely resilient. Uh, the mortgage market in the UK, and I'll broaden that out to generally the business community in the UK, despite challenging conditions, They've been extremely resilient. Our mortgage book is holding up extremely well. Um, our corporate lending book is holding up extremely well. There are challenges. There are pressures starting to be evident, but they're relatively uh, manageable uh, from a UK economy point of view and a bank point of view. Um, but higher interest rates for longer will continue to pressure both consumers and businesses. And it's in all our interests that we can get inflation down as soon as possible in order to ease the pressure on the yield curve and rates. Uh, no, it's clear that in the last couple of weeks, Nigel Farage really dominated the headlines when it came to banking in the UK. Do you think it will change uh, banking in this country? And would you ever drop a customer because of their political beliefs? Well, first, our policy is very clear. We do not exit a client or debank a client based on their lawful personal views. We don't do that as part of our policy. Um, what I also want to do is say we will work with the authorities in the UK, uh, the FCA and the regulators in the UK in whatever work they're going to do over the next few weeks to try and find a good resolution uh, to the current situation that exists. 
But our policy is we do not debank based on the lawful personal views of our customers. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.